Please turn this afternoon to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and also turn to James 3. We'll read Galatians 5, uh, 15, and then James, part of James chapter 3. Galatians 5.15, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Then James 3, verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is and and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a fine fig, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess that our tongues have been used many times for purposes other than what you created them for. I pray that you would grant us to take heed to the warnings given us in these passages today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we looked at one particular aspect of how we use our mouths and in particular um, regarding oaths. This afternoon, I want to broaden the perspective a little bit and just look at what we do with our tongues. What we do with our tongues, or better yet, what should we do with our tongues? The Scripture attributes much power to the mouths of the saints. In this text, in the first text, Galatians 5.15, we are warned not to bite and devour one another. Now, I realize that the idea is metaphorical. However, the picture, when we see a, a metaphor in Scripture, we can a lot of times skim over it because we say, well, he doesn't really mean it exactly that way. Therefore, it just means you can hurt somebody's feelings if you say the wrong thing. But this is a lot more than hurting someone's feelings that Paul is speaking about. The broader context is the liberty that we have in Christ, which he talks about chapter 5. And if you want to look at the context of the entire book, 
It's about how one is right with God, and he's contrasting the true way that you're made right with God, which is by faith and not by doing outward works, particularly the work of circumcision. So Paul is exhorting them that it is by faith that we have this standing before God. Therefore, you don't have to be circumcised. Don't get entangled again with the old works of the law. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. So Paul's starting to warn in this chapter about not going overboard and start throwing rocks at the people who are not yet mature in their understanding of what it means to be free in Christ. We all know people who are less mature than we are, spiritually. That's not arrogant to say that. Because you should also balance it with we all know people who are a whole lot more mature than we are. And that that's every one of us. There are people who, human beings, fallen, saved by the blood of Christ, but fallen still, who have greater spiritual maturity than we do. Yet, that should not weigh us down. Neither should we be puffed up at the fact that we are more mature than some others that we know because our example is not a person in the flesh. Our example is Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, though, don't throw verbal rocks at these people who are who don't yet have this understanding of the freedom that we have in Christ. Enjoy the freedom, but don't use it as an opportunity for division. Because Paul's saying there's divisions in your church and there shouldn't be. Instead, there should be unity because of what the Lord has done. And the circumcision is not doesn't divide you anymore. So he says you should, in verse 514, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the fulfilling of the law. Says the same thing in Romans eight thirteen. That love is the fulfilling of the law. Then he says, though, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. Now he's not saying, uh, you know, you can devour one another. Just make sure you don't go all the way. No, he's saying you should not engage in this. Now, I've said this before, but I think we should hear it again. The early church, the New Testament church, was not this panacea of perfection. Okay? There were problems in these churches. And Paul is writing, I mean, his letters are, most of them are warnings. Even a letter which is pretty much all exhortation and encouragement like Philippians, there's even a warning at the end to two women who had been pillars of, at one point, pillars of spiritual maturity, but now they were arguing with each other. So Paul is saying, don't bite and devour. So the idea presented here is that we can chew, again, Spiritually speaking, we can slowly chew another person up with our words until eventually there's nothing left. We bite and devour one another. 
We know when we do this, though, or we should know that when we do this, we are not engaging in God's work. We are engaging in Satan's work. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we're told that our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour. That's his job. He's the one that devours. And so when we go about speaking critically of our brothers and sisters, spreading gossip about them, and I know there, there, there is a place, there is a place for exhorting one another when there is sin. There is a place for even asking for prayer for one another. But we must be careful when we pray and when we ask for prayer that we don't cross the line into telling things and throwing throwing rocks at a person. And it can be a fine line. It's been said many times that gossip in the church is okay as long as you call it a prayer request. But that's, that, that's been done. Most of us have probably witnessed that before. Some of us may have even done that before. So, Paul is saying this is possible. Not just is it possible, but it's practiced in a lot of places. And it should not be. We don't want to do Satan's work for him. He's doing a good enough job on his own. In Revelation chapter 12, where we read the story of the dragon and the woman and the child of the woman and how Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his followers and it's actually it's called the dragon and his angels, although we would call them demons. It says in chapter, Revelation 12, verse 4, And his tail, that is the dragon's tail, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. The dragon was waiting to eat up the child of the woman. Now, now, who's the child of the woman? It's, it's pretty standard. I know Revelation, you know, one passage will have 15 different interpretations. This one, though, there are varying interpretations of some verses, but it's pretty well understood by most that the child is Jesus. And so the dragon was waiting to devour our Savior. But not only does He want to devour the Savior, verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now I realize that the word devour is not there, but I don't think it has to be there to get the point. The dragon has been seeking to destroy the seed of the woman. Now, we know that the ultimate seed of the woman is the Lord Jesus. But the seed, plural, 
is us, the church. John would write in one of his epistles to the elect lady and her children. So we are desired, our enemy desires to devour us. He wants to annihilate us. And one of the ways that he will do that is through words. And we must be careful that we don't do his work for him. So how do we know if we're doing that? Well, Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 29 through 31. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And then even if you look over in chapter 5, verse 6 of Ephesians, let no man deceive you with vain words, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, or that is not suitable, but rather giving of thanks. So that's one way that we know. If any of those things that were just mentioned, if, any, if there's anything bitter coming out of your mouth, if there's anger coming from you, if there's wrath, if there's evil speaking, if now when it, all right, when it talks about foolish talking nor jesting, those that are around me very much know I enjoy kidding people about things. All right? That's not wicked. Now, I say that that's not wicked because even the Lord Jesus Himself gave a story that was obviously a little bit of hyperbole in Matthew chapter 7 when He talks about two men. One has a small little piece of wood in his eye. The other has a tree sticking out of his eye. All right? Or a very long limb. Now, picture our Lord making people laugh because, I mean, if you look back, look at some Greek syntax, that was a humorous illustration. Believe it or not, people might have laughed when Jesus said that. Okay? So, that's not what Paul's talking about when he talks about foolish talking or jesting. He's talking about making light of or making fun of those things which are sinful and wicked. And I don't mean showing them for the idiocy that they are, but making them look acceptable. We see this on television a lot. Making sins that were in time past unspeakable something that the audience should laugh at. How do we know that that the audience should laugh? Because the laugh track is going on behind it. They say the joke. We don't know that we're supposed to laugh at it because it sounds trashy, but, you know, that automatic crowd on there did, so obviously. So we're trained 
in this type of thing. So anyway, that's how we know that we are engaging in what we should understand as Satan's work. So it, it, biting and devouring one another, brothers and sisters, is not only speaking down about someone else. Biting and, and it's possible to devour someone to to cause their spirit to wither away by engaging them in sinful conversation. By talking about things and talking in ways that make sin sound not so bad. So we should be careful about that. You can bite and devour someone. You can allow your tongue to be an instrument of the enemy by recommending a book. It's possible. Now, I'm not... Don't misunderstand. I'm, I'm not saying that every book you have to read can't have any villain, any villains in it. Okay? G.K. Chesterton one time said that any book or any story that does not have a wicked character is a wicked book. Because, at least in his estimation, he's a literary critic, I'm not, so I'll take his word for it, there should be always in a story a contrast between light and darkness. But what... And over and against that today, a lot of times... We don't have a contrast of light and darkness. We have really dark and close to the, almost as dark, but not quite. Well, I'm saying all that to say it, 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 I know that there's a lot of you know nuance and questions that we have, and you know, does that mean we have to count bad words in a book? And if and if it has over three, then I'm contributing to my brothers or sisters' downfall. Spirit. No, I, that's, I'm saying that we must be careful that we evaluate all that we speak about, the TV shows we recommend, the Internet sites that we recommend, and so on. I was even jokingly confronted yesterday by a brother because one website that I had liked on Facebook, it's a conservative website, and uh, all the men that I know of who write are professing Christians of some stripe. But the name is Latin. And I did not look up the meaning of the name. And this brother did, and he wanted to... Again, he knew where I was coming from, but he just said he wanted to have a little bit of fun with me. So he looked up the name, and and the name meant wisdom that is passed down through generations, from generation to generation, by natural birth. In other words, it's a pagan belief that within this name is a pagan belief that you pass down wisdom to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren naturally 
just by the fact that they're yours and that there's this store of wisdom that they automatically have it just has to be tapped into. And he said, do you realize what people might actually think if they knew what you clicked like on? So, I will confess, I did not feel extremely convicted over that uh, at the time, but it is something to uh, to beware of. So we should not, we should seek to not bite and devour one another. But there are, on the other side, there are things that we should do with our tongues. Alright? So we know we don't want to bite and devour. We don't want to pour forth bitter water, like James talks about in James 3. We don't want to do any of those things. Instead, we want to use them for godliness. So instead of tearing down and biting and devouring, we want to build up. So what do we do? Let me give you very quickly five things. Number one, what do we do with our tongues? We should train them. We should train them. Hebrews chapter 5. Verses 12 through 14. For when, for the time, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We need to be trained, or as he says in verse 14, exercised to better discern good from evil. And and as we're trained in this, then we can better use our tongue and not, it's not literally just the things that you speak. It can also be the things that you write. Any communication that comes from you, it should be trained. It should be mature. A few weeks ago at the men's prayer breakfast, one brother, um, it was relayed to him something that I talked about several weeks ago in a, a sermon where I said that our prayers should be Our vocabulary should be more mature and and, and should be better in praying. And and he asked a question about that. He said, does that mean we should use bigger words, more elaborate words? And I said, no, no, not at all. You know, studies show that women have naturally bigger vocabularies than men do. Now, I'm not going to make any comments on that, despite the temptations. But it does not matter whether you use big words in a prayer. Big words don't impress God. Okay? What I was talking about, though, is that the type of things that we say should be informed by God's Word and not just by our own human mind. And as we put the Word in our heart, as we digest it, because that's what he's talking about here in Hebrews, we shouldn't just be babes on milk. We need to be have strong meat so that we are able, 
to have our senses, that is our, our, our abilities, our communication and our actions all be conformed more to God's best and to the new man and not to the old man. So I don't want you to think if, if you ever pray in front of myself or in front of Brother Mike or anyone else that we're sitting there and evaluating your prayer, particularly how many letters are in each word that you use. Okay? I don't care. And neither does he. And you shouldn't care either. But we all know that if a person is humanly maturing as he should, that a 25-year-old's vocabulary will be, and his ability to communicate will be better than a five-year-old's. Right? Okay. If we have our senses trained and exercised, as he speaks of in verse 14, and our tongue is trained, we will be able, we will better communicate, be able to better communicate true things. We will better be able, we will have a better ability to determine and distinguish good from evil. Because again, in our world, it's not always super clear. It doesn't always come out, you know, this one really almost perfect person on one side that we know we should root for, and then on the other side, this other creature whose only redeeming quality is that he's just determined and he's a really hard worker at doing evil wherever he goes. In effect, Satan. It's not like that. So we should be, we should learn how to distinguish and determine the differences. Not just in a three-year-old way, but in a 30-year-old way. And that takes time. So wherever you are, begin training your spiritual senses and taking in the meat of God's Word so that you will be better informed and can better use your tongue to accomplish and to give fresh water like James talks about and not the bitter. Number two, and this will be really straight and to the point, we're to use our tongue for singing. We are to use our tongue for singing. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. A few verses earlier in verse 16, he tells us to redeem the time because the days are evil. And he talks about singing as a mark of being filled with the Spirit. Well, it's a temptation to use our tongues to not sing songs that make melody in our heart to the Lord, but rather to sing things that are not glorifying. And I'm not here trying to give a backhanded condemnation of any particular type of music, all right? And I'm certainly not saying that the only music you should sing is religious music. 
that would make me a terrible sinner. And I mean, if, if it's wrong biblically, I wouldn't want to do it. But that's not what he's teaching. But again, this is part of growing up, becoming spiritually mature. If we had the, especially the Psalms. I mean, hymns are great, all right. But I really, the Psalms are the songbook of God's Word. If we had the Psalms in our heart so much, and I know this is going back in some way to the first point, but if we had them in our heart and they would just flow out in song, we would be a lot different. And so Paul exhorts the church to use your tongues to sing unto the Lord, but not just unto the Lord, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it's not just on the Lord's day. This should be something throughout the week. When we use our tongues for this, then we are in fact using them to honor God. And even though the songs that you listen to that are not explicitly religious, they come from, they stem from some type of religious basis. Every culture has as its foundation the cult or the religious belief. Every single one. Every song produced, whether it's by Guns N' Roses or Aerosmith or George Jones, the late George Jones, or Johann Sebastian Bach, it all comes and it all starts with a belief about man. I'm not saying they think these things through. Some of them do. One of the most interesting things that I learned as some of my students this past year presented um, projects on music of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s is the high level of philosophy that a lot of rock musicians have attained. Many of them have studied in college I mean, would ha- and have their bachelor's or their master's degree, some of them, in philosophy or in medicine. And, we, and these, I mean, we think, you know, God just must be a high school dropout and couldn't do anything else, so he's saying, and he just happened to make it big. But no. A lot of them know exactly what they're doing. And even when it doesn't have words, even the songs that they, the music itself comes from a belief about who is man and who is God. Which would take a long time to to further flesh that out. But we're told if if we want to use our tongues the right way, then we should sing with them. And not just anything, but especially sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another and make melody in our heart to the Lord. Number three, we should use our tongues to give thanks. We should use our tongues to give thanks. Still in Ephesians chapter 5, 
he says in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of those easy to hear, really hard to practice verses. But again, a sign of those who are filled with the Spirit. One of the beautiful things about the Puritans is they were so filled, they were so trained with the Word of God, and they had trained their mouths in speaking and applying the Word of God that when problems came and bad situations fell upon them, they didn't just say, well, it must be a really bad day or a bad year or a bad decade or something like that. And they had their problems. And they also had plenty of faults. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not giving a blanket endorsement to everything Puritan. But they were so filled with the Word of God that they would not receive anything without trying to understand what the Lord was saying to them. And they would often exhort one another. If you read their writings and some of their letters, they were exhorting one another about, Brother, if this situation has happened, do you think it could be because of this? Now, they didn't know for sure, but they their trust and faith in God was so much that despite their fleshly pull towards groaning and griping and complaining, they were still praising God because if nothing else, they said, He's in control and He's governing my life. They believed that God was working all things together for good to those that, to them that loved Him and called according to His purpose. They believed that. It wasn't just words. And we need that. So when we pray, as Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 6, when we make our prayer and supplications known in God, it should be with thanksgiving so that the peace of God which guards our hearts and minds will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Number four, we should consider our words carefully. We should consider our words carefully. Now, we've talked about three things that we should explicitly do with our words. Now, here's a place where we should very carefully consider what we're going to say because we all know the temptation to when our buttons are pressed. And as someone said, I have one nerve left and you're on it. When that is the case, it's hard. I would, I would like to say that it's, as I've gotten older, it's gotten easier. That'd be a lie. But, I also know this. The Lord sends experiences throughout your life to prepare you for
for where you are right now. Wherever you are in this period of your life did not take God the Father Almighty by surprise. He has brought you to this point. He's led you to where you are. And He's working in you. And so as He's working in you and, and situations come, you must, when you're oppressed, carefully consider what will come out of your mouth. Will it be words of blessing or will it be words of cursing? And I realize sometimes you look for words of blessing and they will not come out. Sometimes they will, though. I had a young lady my second, my third year of teaching. And let's just say she took great delight in trying to unnerve her teachers, particularly the male teachers, and especially the ones that tried not to ever be unnerved. One day in my class, I became quite frustrated with her. And I will say that the things that came to my mind to say to her were not words of goodness and mercy. So I said, you blessed soul, don't do that again. Well, she knew that she was had done wrong, and of course she knew that she had frustrated me. But, she looked at me and she said, you know, no one has ever called me that before. <laughs> and she remembered that name throughout the rest of the school year. And she would occasionally come by and say, Mr. Carpenter, am I still your blessed soul? And I said, sure. Now, this is not a path the preacher on the back story. But this is, this is something that one time the Lord gave me grace to, um, as He says of Abraham, speak of things of not as though they were. And He will do that. But we must be on guard. Because when we least expect it, the temptation will come. So we must beware. Lastly, we should express love with our words. We should express love with our words. We could talk about a lot of other things that we should do with our tongues. But turn with me to Philemon. I want to get it. That's a little bit of exercise turning to Philemon because I'm not sure that our thumbs don't naturally know how to go there very well. Philemon, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, 
that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. So Paul begins this letter to Philemon encouraging him in the love that he's already heard about that Philemon has, but encouraging further, encouraging him further in love. And you read all the beginnings of Paul's letters. They all start with something like grace unto you or grace and peace unto you. And he talks about how some places like here, he even expresses love for the person or for the church. Paul was always expressing love. And you can express love by ways other than actually saying I love you, which is perfectly fine. But there are other ways to express love love and we should seek that again our our temptation is to not do that it's to engage in criticism but we should make a habit of expressing love to others and especially those that we're closest to so with our tongue we should train our tongues, we should sing with them, we should give thanks, we should consider our words, and we should express love. These are by far not everything that God's Word says that we should do, but it is a really good start. Let's pray. O Lord and Father, teach us how we might use the mouth that You've given us not to bite and devour one another, but to lift up and to be a a fountain of refreshing water to one another. May our speech be seasoning, as we're told in Colossians. And may we be trained in greater maturity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.